Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of our Peacock's Feet Literary Podcast. This is going to be our November one. If you're listening to it now or sometime in the future, that's where we're at. So just to reintroduce ourselves, the Peacock's Feet is Georgia College's annual literary journal. So if you're listening to it up to date, then hey, you still have time to bring in your submissions, whether it's poetry, fiction, creative nonfiction, music, art, Whatever your creative outlet is, there's still some time to submit because that deadline is going to be November 25th, as well as the deadline for cover art. So I'll just go ahead and plug that in. But just to reintroduce ourselves individually, so my name is Rosalie Bodkin. I am the social media chair of the Peacock's Feet. I'm Ellen Udall. I'm a general nonfiction editor for the Peacock's Feet. Ava Sheehan, I am the head poetry editor of the Peacock's Feet. And we have a very special guest here with us today. Dr. Evans, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, um, I'm Carrie James Evans, and I'm a new creative writing professor uh, of poetry at Georgia College, and I'm really happy to be here. Awesome, we're really excited to have you. We haven't had the chance to have any guests this semester, but it's always fun when professors are able to come on and talk a little bit more about their interests and students get an opportunity to hear that. So going off of that, um, you have a class on literary translation, which I know I didn't know much about prior to this. So if you want to maybe expand on that a little bit, maybe how long you've been involved with things like that and what you've got you interested in doing something along the lines of literary translation. A hefty question. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, I, I have loved foreign languages for so long. This will be my first literary translation class that I've taught. Mm -hmm. um, but foreign language, I've been um, a lover of languages since high school, right? Mm -hmm. um, I was vice president of the Spanish club and the French club. Um, I think I was a little better at Spanish than I was French. Um, and in college, I spoke, uh, I, I took two years as part of my Bachelor of Arts uh, in Spanish. And recently I've been um, studying Hebrew a, a little bit, like personally. And I just, I, I love what, I love what, I love what takes place creatively when one is working between languages, mm -hmm. right? And so um, the literary translation classes, um, what I'm excited about is it's, uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about a lot of issues that come up in translation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, such as appropriation, right? Like what's what what's right? What can you do? What can't you do? What you should shouldn't do? Um, but we'll also be practicing the art of translating, and it'll you know. So we'll be having discussion, but we'll also have workshop, kind of like in a creative writing course, right? Yeah. And so um, students will have the opportunity to work in the language of their choosing, right? Uh, and um, yeah, and so, and, and genre of choosing too. So it's not primarily for poetry. If you like poetry, you can translate poetry, but you can also translate prose. Uh, and so, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm really curious about what's going to happen, but um, my, as far as like how I got started and my love for translation really began, you know, um, a lot of great poets that I admire have, um, have tried their hand at, at translation. And, I noticed something in their work that I that that's distinct um, when comparing it to other poets, I guess you could say. And I, I think one of the things that I notice is that poets who translate, I'm thinking of Merwin and Charles Wright, um, you know, there's a, there are two that come to mind just off the top of my head. 
Um, I think Charles Wright uh, translated Cavani and some, and, you know, this, uh, I think, I'm trying to remember who, um, W.S. Merwin translated, it's not kind of, I'm kind of blanking on that, but other poets that come to mind are Transtromer, Simborska, some Eastern European poets as well. But um, one of the things that I notice is when there, there's a, a, a lot of imagination in poets, in, in poets' native languages, and I think a lot of a lot of that has to do with the translation process. And I was thinking about this earlier. And um, you know, whenever you're you're working in another language, and say, for instance, if I look around the room and I see like a candle holder, right? And I'm and I'm trying to think, what what's the word in Spanish for candle holder? And I can't think of it, right? Um, my brain will immediately do something else. It'll do something unique, and will you know it'll it'll try to fill in the word with other words in Spanish that I do know, and so. The act of doing that, right, um, really, you know, really pushes one's imagination, right? And a lot of times, the um, you'll come up with a simile or or a metaphor or or something like that, and you'll see you may not have gotten the word right, but you'll find all this other language that's right there, willing to fill in. And a lot of times, that language is 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 more imaginative and more interesting than perhaps the word that you were looking for. And so I like that cross-pollination, right, between languages. And, you know, so I, that's what I'm looking forward to uh, most. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to working with students. It, the class is really filled up, uh, or it's almost filled up. But uh, we have 16 students already enrolled, which is, which is a great number. So I'm really excited. Yeah, it's definitely exciting. I know it's always fun um, with poetry I've read in the past, whether it's for a class or just for fun. It's interesting to see the specific words that an inter or a translator maybe will use um, and how that changes the intention. And I think that's really interesting to dive into that, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know looking at the course site with the literary, tr literary translations course, um, language isn't, or knowing other languages isn't a prerequisite. And so you were saying that students can choose what language they want to delve into so they could choose yours. So could, let me phrase this as a question. <laughs> so could they choose something they're familiar with or just something entirely new? And is there any limitations to the language and opportunities they have within that? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, if you do, if you have a comfortability with a language that I would pick that language, yeah. most especially. Um, I, it would be difficult if you don't have any familiarity. Um, but I, you know, part of it is, is, you know, learning as you go to right. Um, and, um, and yeah, um, what we'll do, um, one thing that, that I'm working on, you know, I'm still working on, on the syllabus mm -hmm. and everything, um, is, you know, finding what languages students are working in and assigning kind of working groups, um, and doing some group translations as well. And so, you know, working, working in, in groups can really help, um, you know, fill in those gaps that, that some of us may have, right? You know, so if you have a strong speaker, that can be really helpful. Um, I, I don't know if you've watched The Queen's Gambit yet. Oh, I've been needing to, it's on my list. <laughs> well, I, don't, I, won't, I won't put any spoilers or anything. But, um, I guess I'll say spoiler alert, but, um, but there's, uh, this is my first podcast, by the way, so. <laughs> so I was a little nervous, but. Um, Doing great. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. Um, 
so yeah, uh, the, there's a great quote uh, in that uh, series that says, uh, this is something about, you know, why, the, why are the Russians better at chess than Americans? And it has to do with, you know, the Russians work as a team, whereas Americans always go work as, as one. And, you know, in translation, I think, you know, a lot of times translators will work with the, the, the original author. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not always, but, but a lot of the time. And, you know, I love that collaborative aspect. Uh, you know, collaboration, you know, in creative writing, I think is becoming more and more uh, mainstream. I think it's a lot more accepted than it has been in the past, um, where we value the individual genius, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's also something called a collective genius. And I think, you know, that, that's something that I, I try to encourage in my workshops and everything, you know, it's like, um, you do need to work hard on your own, right? But it's also, um, how can we help one another? Uh, how can we help each other get there together, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, I love that quote. Um, and yeah, I won't give anything else away. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, um, yeah, so that's one of the things. Um, if you're, yeah, so if you're a little shaky on your language, don't worry about it. Um, you're not going to be alone. Yeah, so you heard it here first. If you're still looking for some courses to fill, ch go check out Pause. <laughs> um, just one thing, last thing I'll touch on with this class before we get into more maybe a talkative thing. You touched on a really interesting point there with the cultural aspects of some things. Do you think that literary translation and looking at the specific word choices or like you were saying appropriation with what's okay to translate, do you think it opens up more about culture than previously experienced when you look at it through this angle? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, that's that's really one of the, the great things about literary translation is um, to, 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 to really um, do a good job translating. It's to think about, like, I think you said this earlier, think about the intention behind their piece originally. Um, but also in the act of translation, um, to also be open to what the poem, There are many schools of thought on this, right? Mm -hmm. And some people think that a poem or a piece of work can can never truly be translated, right? Mm -hmm. Which is an interesting idea, right? Because you, how do you how do you capture all the essences of of, of a language? Um, but there's also something where you know there, there are arguments to where once it's translated, um, it becomes becomes something new, and there's an essence of what was there. So I think. There's a lot of gray area, right? And there's, I think that's why it's very important to have dialogue and discussion in class and to be very open with one another, and, you know, to create a safe space, right? Where we can explore mm -hmm. ideas um, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and challenge ourselves, right? Challenge ourselves, challenge, challenge each other about, you know, well, um, in, in coming to meaning together, you know, there's a, a, a pedagogical, uh, a teacher, uh, a guy who talks about teaching, right? Uh, pedagogy. Um, uh, Stan, I think it's Stanley Fish or Fish. But basically, we learn in schools, right? We learn, like, if you think of fish, we, we learn together. We come to meeting together, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I try, you know, in, my, in, in the classes that I teach, um, we all come in with ideas. But as a group, uh, what meaning do we come to together? And I think, you know, I think that's what creates, um, you know, a, a really a cohesive learning environment, you know. Um, uh, and Ava, you might be able to speak to that, uh, being in, in modernism class, not to call you out or anything. But, <laughs> um, 
but but yeah, um, those are yeah. I don't know if I answered your question. No, but. definitely did. <laughs> okay. Anything you say will be right. Technically, that's the beauty of this podcast. No matter what you say, it's right. <laughs> no, I think that's definitely really interesting, and it sounds like a really exciting course. And I'm very excited to see the way it grows and develops within these first few semesters. Okay, so kind of transitioning from there, we're going to get a little bit more into poetry because um, we all love poetry here in the Peacock Suite and within the literary podcast especially. So I thought maybe we could just go around, maybe talk about some of our favorite poets, the ones we've been exposed to, whether it's, you know, for us undergrads in class or maybe an outside experience that opened us up to it. So Dr. Evans, I'll let you get the ball rolling on that one. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, that's such a big question. So um, hefty. <laughs> uh, but I'll start. I'll start real briefly. Um, I'd say when I was first starting out, mm -hmm. uh, I was in the military, and I was from the, you know from the south and all that. And so, the I'd say the most I wouldn't say the most, but one of the most important poets in my real early career was Yusef Komunyaka. Yusef Komunyaka, uh, who uh, is from Bogalusa, Louisiana. Uh, also served in the military, and he he writes a lot about race, about the military, about growing up in the South, and I, when I read his poems um, as as an undergrad, um, I, I, it's so hard to explain. Like I, I felt, you know, I, I just I felt like the poems were reaching out from the page and and you know like like touching my arm you know like they were so visceral and so personal to me it just felt like home i don't know how to explain it it just felt like home and there are poets where i feel at home in their poems cb wright is another poet like that um and you know i, I love louise glick uh who recently won the pulitzer or not the Pulitzer, she won the pulitzer but who won the nobel um and there are I could go on and on for days about poets that, that, that have done that for me. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, there's a poem uh, called Facing It, which is probably his most famous poem, where he goes to the Vietnam Veteran, uh, Veterans Memorial and he's, he's, you know, the speaker is looking into the, into the reflect, seeing his reflection in the, in the, in the granite, right? And Everything you know, the, he's a veteran who's returned from war from Vietnam, and there's this. It, it's it's a reflective poem, obviously, because the, there's the mirror, but it's black granite, right? It's dark. There's names of the dead engraved in the stone, and then there's a living soldier standing on the other side, looking at all these dead names. And you, you know, I talk about tenor and vehicle like constantly in my classes, and tenor being the. Um, the emotion or the the underbelly the thing that's trying to be expressed and the vehicle being the expression right so for instance like your spirit or your psyche whatever you want to call your consciousness needs a vehicle needs a body in order for it to to express itself it's very similar in poetry but the way that the two are married so so uniquely and so perfectly in that in that poem uh to this day it's one of the most perfect poems i've ever read and that's had the most such an impact on me but um but yeah, I like poems that that show that reflection and that that also aren't afraid to go into places that are difficult, right? But also do so with with grace, right? 
uh, do do it in, 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 in yeah and there are lots of poets that do that um uh terence hayes is one of my favorite poets right now i love mm -hmm. uh, um you know i could go on and on carol <laughs> natalie diaz roger reeves i mean so um, i love arthur z and yeah i could go on and on but yeah you just talking about that made me want to get so much more into poetry than I already am because you just have a way of describing it like when you were saying it feels like home it was just so beautifully put and it just made me really want to delve back into poetry because I feel like I tend to go more with prose especially in a non-classroom environment but well I'll go from there then um so one of the poets that really meant a lot to me when we were reading her in class and kind of just latched onto me was Mistral, Gabrielle Mistral. And she, there was one of the ones where we were thinking about translating because she is from Central America. And so we were discussing those differentiations of what they're saying. And so it just really stuck out to me the way she spoke about grief and being a woman in a way I'd never really heard it before, the way she interconnects all of these ideas, and especially because she had this background of Catholicism within that. And so for me to have had that growing up and finally like hear someone use it in such a unique way of combining all of these aspects just meant a lot to me in a way I wasn't anticipating. Um, and even a professor in my class today, Dr. Knox, he's talking about something with um, poetry that I feel like is relevant now and the whole point of it is to make you feel something and he was talking about Wordsworth where he's like you know I may not be able to critically analyze him in the same way I do other ones but he makes me feel something and he makes me want to do something about it and so I feel like it's that's the way I feel connected to poets rather than something with prose and for his class when we were reading this a couple semesters ago maybe last semester time is lost on me now um, we, I had the opportunity to write my own version of her poetry, so use her themes, her style, and create my own version. And that was really great for me because I'm literature, not creative writing, so I tend to shy away from having to write so creatively rather than critically. And it was just really nice and really rewarding to be able to open myself up like that and put it on a page through her words because it made me just feel more confident using it through her. So that's why she's someone I really like. And then just another one was um, Laylee Long Soldier because we read her poetry book, Whereas, for another class. And I actually used it to create an honors option. Um, so translating her experiences to the concrete numbers that we have of showing the Native American experience in America. And that was another one that was really rewarding for me to be able to put myself in this different perspective because obviously that's not my experience but to be able to translate it and say look this is a personal experience and here are these numbers and going back and forth between that and again just making you feel in a way that you didn't anticipate and that's what i really like about it and i know you mentioned terence hayes that was another one that i just like poetry that really opens my eyes and kind of puts me in a world that i'm not usually in and so i think terence hayes also does an amazing job with that so i really like them but I think Mistral is going to stay a strong favorite for me just because of the personal connections to that one. But so Ellen, you want to go? Yeah, I, I was going to mention Mistral too, because we were reading her like this semester for the same class. And I, I uh, study Spanish as well. I've studied it for a long time. And so I remember like looking at like the two translations on each page and I would always like notice the words that 
you know, it's like for me, they were different in English to see how they were translated. So that was like what I really liked about reading Mistral to see how like different words in Spanish are interpreted into English. But then also for like, maybe like my favorite poetry, because I never really liked it until like recently, but um, in high school, we read Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters. And I remember it was probably like the first time I found it really fun because they're all of these sort of like epitaphs on gravestones from like this fictional town. And they mention other people who you have to go and look up all of their like poems and read them. And I think to this day, I still haven't like made all of the connections yet or read all of the different poems. But that was like one of the uh, pieces of poetry for me that really stuck out and made me actually want to read it more. Last but not least. <laughs> I, I really love listening to all this because I'm such a nerd for poetry and I just have such a passion for it. But I actually have never heard of Minstrel or the other poets that you guys have mentioned other than like Terrence Hayes. And so it's always interesting to hear new poets and read them because there's just a plethora of so many and so many that are just emerging too um but i think the main one that just always had a grasp on me like way back in senior year in ap literature was sylvia plath and i remember my prof my professor my teacher showed us um lady lazarus and it was just like the weirdest thing i ever read and i was like this is the weirdest thing what the hell is this about and like he ended up making us read it like over and over and over and then like actually get the gist of what she's saying and I loved how gritty and dark and everything just about it and I'm a sucker for horror films and just like spooky scary things and she just emanated that in her poem and then like I just kept reading more and more and her about her and I'm like this lady is a genius <laughs> and I just loved reading her and um with dr evans class i've gotten really into some other poets like nina loy and william carlos williams and um a bunch of like the harlem harlem renaissance um people they just really stuck out to me and like dr evans said they kind of like grabbed my hand and like reached out to get me and now i just love them but um yeah sylvia plath i think is number one. <laughs> I just love hearing all of us talk about this. I mean, that's why we created this literary podcast is so like mind passionate people within the Peacock suite can talk about these things and other people can hear it because obviously there are so many podcasts out there in the world. This one's just fun hearing it from your peers. So doing a 360 from that, when I was considering poetry and things within that, my instant thought was obviously all those fun ones that I love, but then also this new Instagram poetry culture where I can't even remember her name now and just completely slipped my mind. Was it Rupi Carr? Rupi Carr, yeah. Rupi Carr. And this idea of translating poetry and people will do the one or two lines on a napkin, post it kind of thing. And I mean, obviously we all have our opinions, maybe just being from an Instagram generation and culture, but I was also curious, Dr. Evans, to hear your perspective on that and maybe how it's developed a sense of poetry and whether it's kind of let people come into their own voice or maybe kind of hindered our understanding of what poetry should be about, if poetry should be about anything in particular. 
the question. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's kind of, uh, I think it's trendy to just, uh, for a lot of academics to just bash Instagram poetry, which is not something I find um, helpful. Um, I think it has to do with audience. That's really what I think. Um, I think, you know, um, Instagram poetry is, you know, it has an audience, uh, you know, and it, it, it exists in a platform and there's a space for it for that. And there's an audience for it. And so long as there's an audience getting something from it, you know, I think it's, I think that's a great thing, right? And I think a lot of folks um, who are new to poetry, especially too, right? Find, you know, you, uh, you know, use that as a way, as a, as a way into poetry as well. And I think, I think it's great. I think, you know, um, obviously I, I don't teach Instagram poetry. I teach <laughs> literary poetry. Um, but I want to say too, um, you know, the distinctions of what's literary and what's not are not in stone. They are ever changing and they always have been, as we've, you know, talked about, spoken about in, in this modernism course we've been talking about. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about is modernisms. And depending on, you know, how we go about thinking about modernism or thinking about poetry in that period, you know, you, there's not like one perspective and everyone fits into it, right? And like in the categories, it's trying your, as best as one can to look poem by poem, poet by poet, and see as much as one can through their lens, right? And see how, and in that way, it's, it's kind of like a pointillist kind of argument, right? Um, so, so as far as that's concerned, that's kind of how I look at it. And I also want to, to say that poetry has, has always been changing. And, and right, it's it's all it changes the only constant, and that's something we we, we know, right? Um, but uh, there was a, you know, as far as the Instagram poetry, um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the beef that existed between Robert Lowell and Frank O'Hara. You know, Frank O'Hara famously wrote poems, uh, you know, on napkins, right, at lunch or in lunch poems, right, or or he'd write them on the side. And, and Robert Lowell was famous for like, you must go into your soul, right? And it must, it must. Um, and and I, like, I like aspects of both poets, right? Um, you know, I, I love Gertrude Stein, who's like a lot of like the people at her time were saying that there's nothing about this that's a poem, right? Like, what are you talking about? We spent a whole hour, or even spent the whole hour and a half, or however long uh, our Tuesday, Thursday classes, we spent the whole time speaking about one poem, Picasso, right? And um, I don't know if I converted anyone uh, to thinking, you know, to loving Ger Gertrude Stein, but we read the poem and we had a we had a discussion about it. And you know, I think that's what we need to do, right? Is to embrace the discussion and to continuously be asking ourselves, what is a poem? And you know, I've been writing poetry for you know for quite a while now, and and I've published quite a bit, but I don't for a moment think that I absolutely know what a poem is. Once you, once you fix your mind on what you think something is, you, you, um, you negate the, the opportunity for surprise. And um, you know, Coleridge talks about that, right? Um, a great deal about how surprise is so important. Not surprise as in, I gotcha, right? But, but surprise and, and delight and you know, like leaps, right? When a poem takes you to a place that you didn't see coming. And I think that's really what I love. And, you know, um, poetry that, that we love today will, will, will morph and change, right? Just as you, you change, right? 
and um, yeah, so I, I don't know if I answered your question, but. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a wonderful way of looking at it and considering the negatives of seeing things in those binaries and that black and white, good or bad. And it was good. And you provided those examples. You got the receipts. You were ready to go. Um, um, no, I like it. I just thought it was an interesting point to bring up for someone who is, pardon the pun, less well-versed in poetry um, as myself to just be able to see that perspective and like you said have that discussion and consider those things yeah and you know um before I, uh, my previous job um i taught at tuskegee university and i, I had a lot of students who um who loved uh, spoken word and were coming in the teaching creative writing and to this day like i love spoken word um it's not what i teach but something like, i love the idea of you know intersectionality right and collaboration and thinking about like um, Denise Smith is a great example of a poet who started off in spoken word and is now like one of the biggest names in contemporary American poetry right? and has taken a lot of stylistic things and um, has really up uh, 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 Fatima Ashkar as well uh, another poet um, two poets you know who really challenge the literary canon right those the academic circles and I think that's I think that's only a good thing right like we all have to be challenging one another and um, whether it's spoken word or Instagram poetry or there, there will be other things too, right? Uh, there was flarf poetry years and years ago, uh, maybe like five or 10, when the internet was new, right? And I may, I may at some point in the future, if there's interest, teach a uh, cybernetic verse class or poetry in the cybernetic age or after the, the, since the invention of the internet, it's been a popular class, but thinking about how the internet has changed poetry as well, right? And you know, social media is the next is the next thing. It's changing everything. So, um, yeah, this is a great discussion, and I love I love I love talking about it. And I'm glad that you know, you know, I, I don't know much about uh, Ruby Carr, but um, or, or their work, but I love I love having these discussions. Definitely, yeah, and I think it would be a great class if that was something you chose to teach. But um, unfortunately, we're nearing our time because of the Zoom constraints of our modern world. So I was just wondering if maybe to end this off, if you had any advice for young poets, whether they're Georgia College students, English majors, just anything that maybe you wish you had heard or you just want to put out there. You know, have fun, right? Like, you know, um, as you, as you know, have fun, but also work hard, right? Read, I, like, I, I, I would say the biggest thing for me is to read, 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 read everything and read things that challenge you, right? Don't, and, and surround yourself with people who challenge you in a good way, right? Um, intellectually, you know, um, spiritually, or whatever, you know, or whatever that is for you, um, um, you know, creatively, um, you know, I, I, there's, there's a lot, you know, it's, it's good to have friends who build you up, right, for sure. But it's also good to have folks that challenge you. And like, I have had, I've been very fortunate that I have a really good group of friends that have, you know, we've stayed friends for years and years. A lot of us have met in those undergraduate classes. And we show each other our work to this day. And um, we're, we're brutally honest, brutal. Like, not in a mean way, but we're really honest about it. Well, you know, like, you know, we'll, we'll give each other good feedback. 
Um, the other thing is um, to, to, to surprise yourself and, um, you know, do things like try things that no one else is trying, right? Um, be inspired by everything. Don't question it. Like see where it takes you. It may be a complete disaster, right? You may write all year long and you never use it, right? It's just, it, it turns to, you know, it's like, oh God, I wasted a whole year. You didn't. You never waste time when you're, in, when you're engaging your inner genius or your inner creative creativity, right? You're, it's not wasted. You're, you're building a life, right? You're building your soul. I think Kurt Vonnegut said that, right? Like, um, that idea of enriching yourself and you're learning, right? It's a craft and, you know, it's, it takes a long time and it's something that takes dedication and time like anything good, right? And so, you know, I guess what I would say is, you know, when you get those first rejections, right? A lot of folks who may be listening to this, you know, thinking about sending out uh, to Peacock's Beat, right? or other literary journals, you know, you might think, you know, you get those rejections, you might, you might feel deflated and down and, you know, don't just use it as fuel and write those other poems, right? Put that to use. So I guess I just said read and write, didn't I? <laughs> it's the basics. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you again so much for being here and having this conversation with us. It was so great to talk to you and to learn a little bit more about your opinions on things in your course. So again, everyone just make sure you're following us on our Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at GC Peacock Suite. Um, Ellen and Ava, anything you want to add real quick? Um, just submit to the journal you have until November 25th. Awesome. And thank you, Dr. Evans, for coming on. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And with that note, we will see you all next time.